Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. so programmed that when I hear this song outside of this time on a Sunday morning I think I've said this before on this program but I literally start doing the show what's that all about well good morning everybody happy holidays Some of you have been observing uh, Passover, and uh, this is the day that some folks observe as Easter Sunday. We are going to have a doozy of a program this morning, and good morning. I'm Bob Salter. We are um, live and have good guests with us. We're actually going to have some guests in studio with us in our 7 o'clock hour of our program uh, as well. The gentleman who joins us in hour one of our program has spoken with us uh, before, and we'll be talking about an event that is uh, taking place uh, next weekend in Central Park. But we're going to be talking in a broad sense about the topic of Parkinson's disease. You say those words, and usually there is an immediate reaction. Um, We'll be talking about that as well. Dr. Human Azmi is joining us on our program. He's the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center. There he specializes in the surgical treatment of Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders. He's a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center. That's on the web, by the way, at North Jersey Brain Spine, all as one word, dot com. Dr. Azmi, it's nice to have you join us again on our program. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Um, We have spoken before. um, We're going to be talking about the 23rd Parkinson's Unity Walk in just a little bit. But, you know, in introducing you, I mentioned Parkinson's disease. And I said, generally speaking, you say that term and there is an immediate reaction from most people. Occasionally, someone will have no reaction, but most people have some reaction. What do you say to explain what Parkinson's disease is really all about? 
So uh, thank you so much uh, for the invitation. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's really important. This April is uh, Parkinson's Awareness Month. Right. Um, and your question uh, uh, goes to awareness about Parkinson's. Uh, so it's important to be aware of Parkinson's disease on many levels. Um, as, uh, as patients, of course, we need to be best advocate for ourselves. Um, as caretakers, uh, we need to know what's what's available for patients with Parkinson's disease. As physicians, uh, we need to know how best to treat our our uh, patients. And as um, as advocates in the community and on the policy level, it's also important to know about the disorder. So uh, uh, to your question of you know what is Parkinson's disease? So Parkinson's disease is is uh, a uh, disorder that is caused at, because the brain does not make a neurotransmitter called called dopamine, uh, and it has uh, some motor uh, symptoms and some non-motor symptoms. Uh, how we describe them. So uh, the motor symptoms are symptoms that we see are are uh, affects how someone moves. For example, tremors. Uh, for example, rigidity and and uh, or, or or slowness uh and it can also have some other um uh, symptoms called the non-motor symptoms that can affect sleep can affect thinking uh the digestive system uh and, and so forth so uh yes uh, a lot of people um, um when they hear that diagnosis are are uh, are taken aback by it but the truth is uh it is a treatable condition and the more we are aware about the options out there the better advocates we are about um uh, treating the disorder. Who is most susceptible or at risk for Parkinson's disease? So in general, Parkinson's happens in a bimodal uh, fashion, meaning it, ha- it has two peaks. Most often, it, it's uh, in, in the 60s and 70s uh, as, as we get older, uh, but also there is a peak uh, in, in a younger population. Uh, called the young onset Parkinson's disease, which happens uh, around the 40s. And is it one gender more than the other who is more susceptible? So for for whatever reason, males have a slightly more um, uh, chance of developing Parkinson's disease. We, We don't know why that is. And when we talk about the incidence of Parkinson's disease, is there... Any indication that there's a specific genetic link? So what what uh, we there are certainly familial Parkinson's disorders. These are um, families that the uh, disorder is happens quite often in, in uh, siblings and and uh, next generations and so forth. And there's clearly a genetic predisposition in, in those uh, families. And there's been. Uh, multiple different uh, gene families that have been discovered uh, uh, among these uh, families that develop Parkinson's uh, early and uh, at a high prevalence. Um, but um, but for the rest of the uh, population that develops Parkinson's disease, the theory is that uh, there is some sort of a genetic predisposition that uh, some people may have, but they don't always develop Parkinson's and there, there is another environmental factor that triggers. Uh, some people dis- describe it as uh, basically pulling the trigger and then uh, uh, putting the bullet and then pulling the trigger. So meaning that you have to have both of those uh, to, to develop Parkinson's disease. When you say an environmental factor, I mean, what kind of environmental factor? 
So there, there's been some studies that show uh, uh, families or patients that work around uh, chemicals, certain chemicals uh, develop Parkinson's disease at a higher uh, rate. For example, uh, people that work around farm, it is thought pesticides may have a role uh, in that trigger uh, point uh, or some other Dry cleaning chemicals perhaps may have a trigger, uh, a, a trigger role. So we have not um, really uh, identified the actual agent, uh, but there have been clusters in, in these areas that make make scientists believe that there there must be some kind of an environmental agent that is causing this. When we talk about the number of Americans who are affected by Parkinson's, um, if I've read correctly, and I think you alluded to this earlier in our discussion. The figure is, I believe it's a little over 1 million people just in this country? Correct. About somewhere between 1 and 2 million people have Parkinson's in our our country. So it's about 60,000 new cases that are diagnosed each year? Correct. How are they diagnosed? So Parkinson's is... Until now, has been a, basically a clinical diagnosis, meaning we do not have a good test to diagnose it um, um, properly. It is not a blood test or a particular MRI. Although lately we're having, we're, we have certain things, uh, but they're not uh, um, really great. Uh, but in general, uh, how someone diagnoses Parkinson's disease is by examining the patient and looking for certain signs that are suspicious of Parkinson's disease in the patient's examination. Um, and and after uh, a few visits and, and uh, um, talking to the patient and, and really observing them, then, then uh, someone can make a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. And I'm glad you brought this up because it is enormously important to go to an expert that deals with Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's can be mimicked uh, and certainly in the beginning uh, of it with, with other disorders. Uh, and uh, it is re- really critical to have a uh, movement disorder expert, um, that's a Parkinson's expert, uh, really see the, the patient and make sure it's a proper diagnosis. So not only the, the diagnosis can be made correctly, but also the patient can be started on, can be counseled correctly and can be started on appropriate medication. Uh, and that is enormously important, again, again, to be aware of Parkinson's disease, to be better advocates for, for ourselves. That, that is a very uh, important information. So knowledge about the disorder and who to go to is, is uh, critical in having uh, um, good outcomes and making sure that uh, patients are best treated uh, for Parkinson's disease. We're talking this hour of our program on The Fan with Dr. Human Azmi. He is the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center. Uh, He is a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center. He's talking with us about the topic of Parkinson's disease. We'll be talking about the 23rd Parkinson's Unity Walk taking place next Saturday in uh, Central Park in the city. And um, he's going to be with us for our entire 6 o'clock hour this Sunday morning. It is Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter. We are in a discussion with Dr. Human Azmi on our program. 
Dr. Osme is talking with us about the topic of Parkinson's disease. The 23rd Parkinson's Unity Walk takes place next Saturday in Central Park in the city. And uh, he has joined us to share some information about the walk and talk with us about uh, the topic of Parkinson's disease. I've mentioned the fact that he's the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center. He is also a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center. I wanted to ask you about something um, before we talk about the walk that gets into talking about this whole idea of, um, you know, the study of uh, movement disorders and the like. Because as you said that, I thought, how much exposure um, to movement disorders is there in, in medical school for doctors these days? That's, that's an excellent question, Bob. And the truth of it is, unfortunately, it's very limited. Um, you know, there is so much in, in medical school, certainly there's so much to learn about all different body systems and different disorders. Uh, so the, the neurological disorders are, are only a, a small part of learning about the heart and the the uh, the uh, GI system and the skeletal system and so forth. So, so if uh, once someone is done with medical school, if they're interested in in the, the nervous system, uh, they they can go to a, uh, to the field of neurology and they do basically what's called a residency training program. So uh, they go uh, to uh, to a program. They become interns and residents for. Uh, about uh, three years, three to four years, where they um, take care of uh, neurological disorders and learn from uh, neurologists, essentially, about these disorders. And even those doctors, their exposure to movement disorders is not that much. It is only a fraction of uh, all of neurological disorders. They learn about multiple sclerosis. They learn about ALS. They learn about... Um, all kinds of pain syndromes and and uh, and so forth and so movement disorders again it, it becomes a small part of that it's just in the nature of how uh, we learn and there's really no fault with it it is just how it is so if someone is interested in taking care of Parkinson's patients then after they finish their residency they do what something called a fellowship where they go to um, uh, a hospital or a, a group that is an expert in taking care of movement disorders and that's all they do uh, and they spend one to two years with with that uh, hospital system with that training program to learn specifically about Parkinson's disease and other movement disorders their diagnosis and their treatment so so it, it is really important to, to recognize that because um, you know most physicians not not to their their own fault it's just the nature of out of all the things we have to deal with um, do not know much about Parkinson's disease, and uh, and uh, and that also goes for a lot of generally trained neurologists. Unfortunately, um, there's so much, and that's in every field. You know, uh, there's so much medication that is coming out. So you, if you're not in the field, uh, you don't know about their indications. You don't know about their side effects. Their their uh, uh, interactions with other medications. So it's really critical to go to an expert. Just like if you had a, a, a very serious heart problem, you would want to go to someone that is a, really an expert in dealing with that. Uh, the same goes for, for Parkinson's disease. 
And when we talk about the study of Parkinson's disease, is the leading um, research and even approach to uh, management and treatment of Parkinson's disease, is that taking place in this country or are there other countries that are doing things that we're looking at? So what's great about the medical community is is certainly there's, uh, even though there's competition between um, uh, Europe and uh, and Asia and the U.S. Uh, in, in in terms of uh, um, uh, these scientific studies and investigation, you know the, the the core group of people that are investigating work together. I think that this is really nice for and it's for for many disorders because their aim is to to uh, treat the, the disorder and and hopefully find a cure for this uh, for this problem. So there's there is definitely Definitely excellent research going on in Europe, uh, in, in Canada, in the States, uh, and and uh, in, in Asia as well. And there is a collaborative environment where uh, doctors uh, speak to each other, they present their their works uh, to each other. And uh, even though there's some you know friendly competition there, but I think in, in the end it serves the patient better um, uh, because uh, we're sharing knowledge and sharing. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, what we find with each other. And the natural question that comes up when we talk about research always points to money. What is, what's funding like? You know, unfortunately, uh, funding has has um, uh, been on a downturn um, as the economy has ch- has changed in the U.S. In particular, um, funding for um, uh, medical research, just with as with funding for everything, has been on a downturn. Uh, so the the, the uh, you know the National Institute of Health is is one of the main. Um, Funding agencies for a lot of investigators. Uh, although there's also private um, funding as well, but the, the government funding comes from the National Institute of Health, and their budget has been reduced. And that is unfortunate because uh, research is expensive. Uh, it's it's essentially inefficient. Uh, but that's how how we make discoveries. That that's you know all the. Uh, benefits that we have from from medical technology and medical uh, the drugs and our quality of life is better now than it was decades ago is because of that uh, that the budget that went into investigation and and resulted in in uh, a, a product that is useful for for uh, Americans uh, not only Americans but you know world citizens so uh, as again part of the awareness about Parkinson's disease is, is um, us, um, you know, putting putting our our policymakers, putting our representatives to task because it is it is uh, the, the, it's the only way that we will be able to uh, come up with a cure. I think um, some some private agencies, the Michael J. Fox Foundation, uh, the Muhammad Ali Foundation, and the Parkinson's Foundation have been incredibly good at at putting um, a Parkinson's disease on the front burner and actually providing quite a lot of uh, support and funding for, for research. But, but it, it, re- it still remains that our national um, um, funding for all 
research, all medical research has gone down, and that is that's not going to be helpful for for uh, Americans as we get older, and we we need newer uh, and better treatment options. You know, you mentioned earlier about the month of April being acknowledged in part as Parkinson's Disease Awareness Month. And, you know, I think of that and think, well, if that's the case, then where are we in terms of how aware most people are? And then the other aspect of this is something that comes up sometimes as a question, and it did by someone to me this week, knowing that I was going to be speaking with you today. A lot of people, when they think of Parkinson's disease, they immediately, for whatever reason, think of tremors and people shaking. Does someone have to have a tremor to be diagnosed with Parkinson's disease? No, um, they don't. And that is a misconception, and that's that's often what we hear uh, patients that come to us, and uh, they say, "Well, I, you know, my doctor said we well, don't have a tremor, you don't have Parkinson's disease." It's not true. Uh, now, a tremor is one of the um, uh, diagnostic uh, items that we we look for and uh, to see if someone has Parkinson's disease. But there are there are Parkinson's patients that don't have any tremor at all. They never developed it, and will never de- develop the tremor. Uh, so, uh, and what, what's interesting is Parkinson's is, is is so different in every patient. You know, every patient's symptoms can be very, very different from each other. Their response to medication can be different from each other. So, again, it is it is really critical uh, to to uh, get to an expert to tease these issues out uh, and uh, and be properly diagnosed. You know, when I was Bring that point up about awareness. You, know, you mentioned the names Michael J. Fox, Muhammad Ali. And as you said that, I thought, well, if those names, those images don't promote awareness and don't provide, I guess, motivation, uh, because we saw literally the struggles that those two individuals went through in a very public fashion. Correct. Um, Seeing that, didn't that broaden awareness of, of this disease? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the, uh, they have done uh, so much, uh, 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 those people, and also some uh, some others that have come come uh, and, and uh, have uh, said that they have Parkinson's disease, have done so much uh, to break this um, this uh, uh, um, lack of awareness about Parkinson's disease, where uh, it's almost, you know, um, whoever you speak to, if you say, oh, you know, Parkinson's disease, it kind of clicks images of of, uh, of uh, Michael J. Fox and, and, and Muhammad Ali. And, and uh, you know, so they, they've actually put a, shed a lot of light on the disorder and they've been really instrumental, and not, not just them, but also uh, the major um, Parkinson's Foundation, the National Parkinson's Foundation, the uh, American Parkinson's Disease Association. They've really uh, put uh, light on the disorder and and 
have brought awareness to it in, in all of the aspects that we're talking about, both at the policy level, uh, at the um, funding level, and also at the patient and caregiver level. Uh, it's, been, it's been a really uh, great what they have done. We're talking on our program on the fan with our guest in uh, this first hour of our program, Dr. Human Azmi is the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center. He's talking with us on a program. He's also a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center. Um, we have about a minute before we're going to take a pause in our discussion. Let me just mention the fact that next Saturday, the 23rd Parkinson's Unity Walk is going to take place in Central Park. Um, can you just give us an idea? First of all, what's the environment like with that? It, it's a it's a great uh, uh, environment. It's a great event. It's been held um, since uh, the mid nineties, uh, and uh, it's you know what's what's great about it is that every dollar that is raised goes to research, and it's you know it goes to all the the uh, organizations that we discussed, and it is then you know there's no administrative costs and so forth. It, it really every dollar they raise um, goes. Goes to uh, Parkinson's disease research, and and uh, they've raised, you know, a, a, over the years, um, you know, millions of dollars that that go to research, and it's a great environment. Uh, it's in April, so usually the weather is great. Uh, there is, you know, patients come with their family members, with their caregivers. There's uh, uh, the various teams that that have supported the patients through through the years, and and people come from all across uh, the U.S. Uh, I've seen patients. From from Canada that that uh, uh, come down take a bus in and this in Central Park it's, it's an excellent environment um, uh, that uh, that uh, um, uh, it kind of brings the whole community together so uh, if if um, uh, people are around next Saturday I, I really highly recommend uh, getting to the park and and. Uh, uh, partaking in, in, in the walks. All right, I want to talk more about that. We'll take a little pause here in our discussion with you, Dr. Osme, on our program here on The Fan. It is Sunday morning on WFAN. We're in a discussion about the topic of Parkinson's disease with Dr. Human Azmi on our program. He's the director of the Division of Functional and Restorative Neurosurgery at Hackensack University Medical Center. He is also a partner at North Jersey Brain and Spine Center, and he's talking with us this hour of our program on WFAN. You know, I I neglected to mention in the course of this discussion, too, sometimes we get into discussions here, and I just don't even think about this. Um, you want to join us if there's a thought or question you have on point with what we're talking about, about this topic of Parkinson's disease. Maybe it's touched your life in some fashion, um, or you have a question. Excellent opportunity to jump in with that at 877-337-6666. That's our number here at The Fan. Now, the thought I had about the Unity Walk First of all, with the type of information that is available uh, there, um, do people come and, I mean, do they come and spend the day? Or I guess how do people generally use their time? Because I'm trying to uh, paint a picture for people who may never have heard of this before but might have an interest in it. Um, 
and very well may be able to benefit from some of the information that's available. Sure, sure. I mean, basically, the the walk happens in in, uh, New York City uh, at Central Park, and uh, it it is uh, um, usually uh, it's uh, the events start around uh, eight o'clock or so, and by by noon, you know, the the day is basically over. So, I mean, that that's and it's the the walk is actually it used to be where the walk would be at the same time, everyone would do the walk together, and over the years they've kind of um, um, made it, you know, a, a uh, um, in the, in, people can walk at any time uh, and uh, so the events are going on and there's a lot more information for patients and there's a lot more interaction uh, that goes on. So it's, it's generally the morning uh, that occurs. And uh, like I said, it is a, it's a great event. Um, uh, and, uh, 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 you know, it's really, so the Parkinson's Alliance has been uh, tremendous in, in, um, in uh, put, putting this together every year. And uh, it's a great uh, place uh, for patients and families and, and uh, basically team members, all, all the caregivers for that, for that patient to come and uh, meet others and, and uh, share stories and, and learn about Parkinson's disease and certainly help contribute to efforts to uh, ultimately cure this disorder and have better treatments. For people who have just joined us in our discussion, we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I'm going to bring this up because, again, this does come up as a question. Somebody who has Parkinson's, they may have concern that they're going to pass that along to their children. What do you say to them? So the the majority of of, uh, of us, us that develop Parkinson's disease develop it sporadically, meaning it is not one of those clusters of genes of families. It, it's uh, it's you know just happens like how we develop um, um, high blood pressure or or diabetes and, and so forth. So the chance of passing that to our children is is very small. Uh, you know, the, 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 so it, basically the chance of developing Parkinson's disease is, is 2%. And, um, and uh, the, the chance of, uh, of, our, of our children having uh, uh, Parkinson's disease is about 4% of those that have uh, Parkinson's. So still there's a, you know, more than 90% chance that they don't develop it. Um, so, so, but it's important to, to learn about it and, and as new diagnostic tools come, come up, uh, and they are coming uh, about to, to, to have those tools available. When we talk about quality of life for Parkinson's patients <clears throat> and their families and their caregivers, what's that like? So, you know, Parkinson's, and, and let me preface it by saying it, it's very different in every patient. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I said that before, but... Um, if it, it can advance, uh, and uh, uh, when it advances, it does affect uh, uh, people uh, and their family members just because it, it affects how someone moves. And as 
Parkinson's advances, and this is really different for every patient, so I don't, I don't want to uh, you know, worry uh, your listeners, but it can uh, become to the point that they become very dependent on the medication. So they're taking medication every, uh, every um, three hours, every two hours, sometimes around the clock, uh, where, where their, their movement, their ability to move is dependent on, on this. And this affects the family as well. Uh, just imagine if, if someone uh, you love had to take medication around the clock, sometimes in the middle of the night. This the whole the family dynamic changes. The spouse has to wake up in the middle of the night uh, with the patient and make sure they get their make sure they get their medicine on time. Uh, and it affects your know, social uh, situations. The patients, if they're not moving well, uh, if they're not if they don't feel well, they may not be able to go out with their friends. It affects uh, um, those that are in the workforce. Uh, they, they may be afraid of the stigma of Parkinson's disease and, and their ability. So it can have, uh, you know, a very uh, um, a big impact on quality of life and our, 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 our sense of ourselves. Uh, but it, it is important to know, again, this is part of the awareness process, it, it is important to know there's excellent treatment out there. Uh, patients are not alone. They should reach out to uh, these national, um, national organizations that have... Uh, um, um, support groups locally at, at you know basically every town and so forth has has a local support group um, very much near them uh, and for the caregivers as well because they can uh, take a toll on on the family and and if you would find gen- generally patients with Parkinson's and their caretakers are enormously helpful to others uh, because of of uh, what they've gone through themselves. When we talk about options for medical treatments. What sort of things are on the table now? So there, there's the, the good um, thing is almost uh, every year or every um, you know six months there is a new medication that comes out for Parkinson's disease. But in general, these are uh, in, in a few different classes, uh, but the they aim to replace the neurotransmitter that that the brain doesn't produce anymore. They aim to replace or mimic the dopamine that is not made in the brain anymore. So there are different classes of that, and there's different ways they're administered. Uh, but in general, this is uh, uh, what medications do, and they really do help the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. You know, they're, they're, it's remarkable some patients when they're on medication when they're taking their medications and it's effectively working you really can't tell they have Parkinson's disease. And I think it's important for your listeners to know there is excellent treatment out there. Um, they just have to, um, you know, it's it's probably shocking or as hard as you said to hear that diagnosis, but they've got to get to the right positions and they have to be properly diagnosed and they have to be properly counseled and started on correct medication and there we we can have a very good quality of life with Parkinson's disease we can live well with Parkinson's disease um, and, and that starts with being advocates for ourselves some people who are listening to our discussion today have heard talk about um, DBS or deep brain stimulation I don't think in the history of doing this show that we've ever really explored this topic in depth. What is deep brain stimulation? So deep brain stimulation is a surgical procedure where we implant a pacemaker in the brain. 
Um, it is uh, if you've seen anyone with a heart pacemaker, it's is a similar concept where there's a battery that generates electricity, uh, and the electricity is is uh, emitted into the brain through a small wire. The wire is the size of essentially an angel head spaghetti, so very thin wire that we put in the brain very precisely. There's you know there's a lot of uh, technology and expertise goes into placing those uh, wires, uh, and then uh, the once once everything is implanted, that um, uh, the the battery uh, sends electrical. We we have to program it. So movement disorder neurologist that is an expert in in uh, deep brain stimulation. Turns it on. That's what programming means, and and finds the correct settings for the patient. Uh, and the uh, uh, the system continually produces electricity uh, that affects the circuits of the brain that are not working properly. Uh, the patient really doesn't feel anything. There is there is first of all very low um, uh, levels of electricity, and secondly, the patient does not feel anything. Uh, but it helps restore some of this abnormal signaling uh, to to closer to normal, um, and it is uh, it is an excellent treatment for a very select group of patients. And it's not for every patient with Parkinson's disease. So patients go through what's called a candidacy process, where um, a group of doctors tries to figure out if the, if the surgery is is indicated for the patient, and if there if the risks justify them having the surgery because it is brain surgery. But in the correctly selected patient, it is an excellent treatment option and really does restore quality of life to a great extent. The MRI-guided deep brain stimulation, who becomes a candidate for that? There's, uh, the surgery is still the same. It is implanting the um, uh, electrodes. But traditionally, um, the surgery, uh, and if, if your viewers YouTube uh, uh, do a Google search or do a YouTube search, there's plenty of video out there where um, we, we wake patients up during parts of the surgery, not all of the surgery. During the surgical parts, often patients are asleep or breathing on their own, but then we wake them up to map the brain. Uh, and uh, and during that part, the patients need to be off their medication. And as hard as we try, uh, and there, there are excellent teams across the United States that, that do this, um, it, you know, the thought of being awake and the thought of being off of, of medication is difficult for patients, especially as, as you heard, some of these patients are they really depend on every two-hour, every three-hour administration of this, these medications. So if we keep them off of it, it is you know uncomfortable for them and the symptoms uh, come out. Uh, so so uh, the, the MRI-guided technique, and there's also uh, so MRI is an imaging uh, um, a machine, a, a way that we take pictures of the brain. There's also a, a CAT scan guided, which is also another machine that we take images of the brain. So they, they, they supplement the surgery by image guidance and rely less on the patient needing to be uh, participating or awake during the surgery and allows uh, surgeons to do the surgery in, in, in a way that's more comfortable for the patient and, and ultimately we believe is, is you know, 
potentially safer than having uh, patients be awake. And, and there, there are excellent centers across the U.S. that are doing both techniques. But, but really, that is uh, just a way of doing the surgery. The, the important thing for patients that are listening to this is going to a team that's experienced and know, know what they're doing and properly get selected. The most important thing in outcomes for someone undergoing BBS is is um, is uh, the selection process. Uh, we we really need to make sure that this the surgery is going to help them before putting them through. So experienced teams can can assess the patient and and then do the surgery safely. And either technique has has excellent outcomes uh, in in uh, in experienced hands. And what other treatment options, I guess, are being explored at this time? So there is, of course, medications are, are, um, 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 are we're getting more and more med- medications that are coming out that are um, attacking the Parkinson's at different um, uh, parts of the chain that result in the symptoms of the patient. Uh, there, uh, there are uh, ways to give the medication um, uh, not by pills, but a, by a continuous way of uh, of getting it into the gut that was just recently um, FDA approved in the in the United States. Um, you know, there's, there's certainly surgical options that uh, that are being explored um, in terms of both the gene therapy and uh, an implantation of trophic factors. There's also a a new technique called a high-intensity focus ultrasound uh, that was developed in Israel where ultrasound um, waves are focused on a spot in the brain and that that spot uh, creates a little burn in that spot and that helps uh, uh, symptoms. So that has been FDA approved in the United States for a condition called essential tremor, uh, which is just a tremor, no other symptoms. But the the the, um, the uh, efficacy of that is being explored for Parkinson's disease as well. For people who want more information on this um, discussion, where would you guide them online? Uh, you know, we're very fortunate to have excellent advocacy organizations, the National Parkinson's Foundation, the Parkinson's Alliance, the American Parkinson's Disease Association, the Michael J. Fox Association. These are excellent resources for patients to to, um, to connect them, to, to teach them about the disorder, um, to connect them to the right people, to connect them to, to clinical trials um, that are ongoing if patients want to be involved in, in um, investigative drugs, uh, and, and connect them to the support and advocacy groups. They're, they're really, I highly recommend um, the caregivers or, or patients that uh, may or, or others who may know someone with Parkinson's disease to get on these websites and, and learn about it. And actually, if there's, they, they have a chance to come to the Unity Walk because all of these organizations are going to be there uh, with, with uh, information and with representatives. When will you be specifically at the um, Ask the Experts booth? Uh, so I will be there um, for the for the entire day. So Good. I will be there. Other other um, uh, hospital systems uh, in, in the area will be there as well. So to, um, I look forward to, to um, uh, meeting the, uh, our patients and caregivers that, that go by us uh, in the walk. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Osmi. 
Dr. Human Azmi talking with us on our program on the fan this Sunday morning. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.